Hi, this is Senator Addie Eckert, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. It is February 2nd. We are back after dark. Michael, how's it going? Doing okay, Kevin. Looking forward to being back on Conduit Street, but apparently that's not going to be tonight. Not tonight, but hopefully soon. And we are really happy to have with us Brianna January, all-star member of the Mako policy team. Brianna, how are you holding up? You're here after dark for the first time. I am a few weeks in the session and happy to be here. Holding up for now. <laughs> Excellent. So today, Brianna is here. So we're going to talk about one of the big issues in her policy portfolio, education. It is going to rate as one of the biggest accomplishments of this four-year term for many legislators, of course, with the blueprint coming from the Kerwin Commission. We know that education is a huge chunk of the state budget, and all sorts of policy decisions are connected to our schools. So Brianna, you work with MAKO's Education Subcommittee. And it's the closest to many of these issues. So we're happy to have you aboard for all of this. And first of all, let's talk about school funding in the governor's budget. We talked a few weeks ago about the governor's budget, the big picture. And at that time, we really didn't have the, the full story on education funding. The, govern, the governor, again, as, he, as he's done every year, has pointed to record funding and said that he fulfilled all the mandates. But there's more than meets the eye here, right, Brianna? Yeah, that's exactly right, Kevin. So one component component of Kerwin um, is the extra state funding for the concentration of poverty grants. So essentially an additional layer of state funding based on certain calculations for each county. Right. And that's what's really grabbed some of the headlines that we've seen. And a lot of legislators seem to be worried about this. I know that there are town halls that are happening. So so why didn't this get funded? Do we Do we have a definitive answer on that yet? Well, that's that's interesting. So it's a bit of a technicality, um, but essentially the law now says that a county is entitled to this extra state funding based on a two-year calculation. But the first time that calculation was going to be made was basically at the end of fiscal year 2021. So the twist here is that because the governor vetoed the Kerwin bill late in the 2020 session, it wasn't in effect until July of 2020 when that calculation was supposed to happen. So so the technicality is that technically there wasn't an index because the law had not yet taken effect. Is, is that what we're saying here? Right. You're catching on here. So the budget secretary talked with our county leaders today, actually, um, and basically said, uh, well, you know, we don't believe that that funding was mandated and gave the reasons that you just explained, Kevin. Yeah, and we're, we're talking about $125 million. So this isn't some tiny little rounding error or some marginalia you know, all off to the side of this. This is this was a big component of getting the legislative um, compromise together on this whole bill that the state would show up for jurisdictions that were most in need of assistance by this calculation. If you were the most in need of assistance, then the state would sort of come to your aid with a little bit of extra and that's what this that's what this piece is about. But you, we're, we, we're absolutely right, Kevin. We're already hearing 
legislators from those two affected jurisdictions. This is a load of money for Baltimore City, and I think it's almost 100 of the 125 is Baltimore City, and then 25 or 26 is, is Prince George's County. So two big jurisdictions feeling like what happened to the school funding we were anticipating. It's a, it's a big twist. We're hearing a lot about it already. That's exactly right, Michael. We're not talking about pennies here. Um, so th the next step is really for the Attorney General um, to release some advice on on what that law, what Kerwin really required. And so until we have that, we're not quite sure what the next step is. Right. And so thank you for, for unwinding all of that. And I want to say first that I think we need to take a second and say that, you know, our listeners, you heard it, you heard it here first, right? Two weeks ago, we basically speculated that this had to be something about the nature of the funding mandates and, and how they have to be airtight when they're written into law. This feels like it landed into that slot, right, Michael? I mean, you led the conversation and, and really made the speculation about what this meant, because when we were first seeing the budget picture, people started speculating and, and noticing, hey, you know, it looks like there's about 125 million missing here. And we all thought it's mandated funding. It's from the blueprint. But, but I think it landed right there, Michael. This is a weird dynamic. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I don't think we had every I dotted and T crossed when we talked two weeks ago and we sort of told listeners, you got to go to the fiscal briefing and this is where the legislative staff will rip this apart and, and give you what their point of view is. And, and they're closer to the budget department and so forth. So we didn't have every detail, but I think I think we, we basically figured out who done it there. Um, that this traces back to this quirky thing from the early 2000s and the implementation of the Thornton plan, which was the last big reinvention of school funding. But that you got your bill, popcorn ready, Kevin? We're going yeah, to be in for yeah. a long one here. Right. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is kind of yeah. like I love right, it, though, so it's okay. So, so like, we, don't need, we don't need to. All right, all right. I'll take the cue and not beat this to death. But like, you go back then. And we were in a really similar circumstance where in the Thornton bill, they said there should be an add-on layer of funding based on your cost of education. And they didn't have all the details, so they said in that bill, here's how we'll set out the formula for how much money is required. And once that formula is written, the governor will fund it. And basically, a letter from an assistant attorney general at the time sort of threw that out and said, you got to be really specific to bind the hands of the governor or future governor. You need to say a dollar amount or you need to have an easily calculated formula. And anything short of that just doesn't cut the mustard. So like the, the definition of what does it take to really, really mandate something in the budget um, is now understood in Maryland to, to be sort of a heightened standard. You've got to be really clear. It's got to be pretty straightforward. And I, I think we correctly figured this has to be a case of something wasn't 100% crystal clear and, and maybe didn't meet that standard. So, so here we are. The, 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 the words on paper of the, the Kerwin bill say, if you were under this level in this calculated index for two straight years, then you're entitled to this extra funding. And lo and behold, the first calculation didn't mechanically happen because the bill wasn't in effect on the right day. So um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where they go with, with the machinations. But, yeah, we, we pretty much told you where to look for the shooting star, I think. 
Right. And so, I mean, look, I think there's a lot of coverage out there. A lot of people are talking about this, but I don't think anyone or anything that I've seen is 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 speaking to the probably the most interesting part of this story. And, and that is what comes next. And particularly if the AG says that that funding was mandated after all, do they go back and compel the governor to, to do a supplemental budget to make it right? I mean, that's that's really the, the next step here is is the most interesting one. And, and I really haven't yeah. heard many people speculate on what, what happens next. Yeah. Absolutely, Kevin. I mean, to be clear, we don't even know for sure that the attorney general has the authority here. Um, you know, he can ask, he can he can urge, he can incentivize um, that the <laughs> governor go ahead and move on this funding, but maybe he can't require. Um, and so really depending on how this shakes out with, with the attorney general's opinion, you know, we might even see this go through the courts. Like, is that is that even yeah. a possibility that anyone's considering? Yeah, I, I don't know who's played this out forward enough to know the answer to these questions. I mean, the standing in law of a formal opinion from the attorney general, they are they are cited and they're treated as as having a force of law, but it's not exactly the same thing as a, a, a rendering from an actual court. So, you know, we, we, we have a long history of deference to the attorney general on interpretation of legislative statutes and so forth. And that's what this is. So usually this conversation sort of begins and ends in the, the small shop of the AG's office within the, the legislative services building. I don't know if a letter from that room ends up having enough weight that the governor says, well, I, I have to do this. Um, I don't know if there's something that's like, in theory, you could have the General Assembly could sue the governor. We hear we see these things happening in other states. I, I can't remember something like this mm -hmm. happening in earnest in Maryland. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm drawing a blank for when the last time something like that might have happened. Mm -hmm. but, in, but in theory, you could have the General Assembly sue the governor and say, we meant it when we said this was mandated. The AG agrees with us. And we'll take you to court to force you to fund this in the budget. It'd be like I know in, in real estate and some other sections of law, there's something called like specific performance. You can sue somebody and no, I don't want money. I just want you to do the thing you promised you'd do. So like the equivalent kind of lawsuit to compel the governor to fulfill the mandate, I, I guess it's conceivable. I'm, I'm not predicting that happens. I just I don't know where it goes from here. I think that's tricky. Right. Yeah, I've had it, it that is kind really of authority tricky. in my life. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. No, it, it's really tricky. And I think, you know, as we as we do, I think that there's room here, Michael, to to think about even further down the line and how this all could have a, a major impact moving forward unless we get some sort of definitive answer here. Well, I, I'm already I'm, I'm I'm inclined to do this, right? I'm a navel gazer by 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 profession. So I mean, so what what happens if I mean let's play this out. Let's say the AG rules that this really was a mandate and the governor's interpretation was wrong and the governor should have funded the money in the budget. But but through this year's fiscal negotiations, the governor says, I, I still disagree. I've got this letter from from our council and, and we just disagree. I'm not gonna fund it. And and what if that's the end of the debate? And then mm -hmm. basically nothing happens. I, I mean, it doesn't seem completely far-fetched that we could get into 
you know, sunny die, drop, you know, drop the confetti at midnight and the budget's done and everything's taken care of. And lo and behold, like these dollars never got funded either through supplemental or negotiation or whatever. But I mean, what happens then if you, if you go through a whole cycle where the governor was supposed to do something by a statutory mandate, the legislature said so. And then for whatever reason, this one seems like it may be just a good faith differences of difference of opinion, but I'm not sure that would matter under the law. What happens next time? You know, you know, 15 years from now or, or 15 months from now, uh, some other governor shows up and says, well, I just, I just think the circumstances dictate that I don't listen to the mandate and I just won't fund the money in the budget. Um, I just feel like if if this doesn't get resolved with some clarity this session, this could be like a very oft-cited, well, you know, by the precedent set in 2022, as it turns out, legislative mandates have no real force of law. They're merely advisory to governors going forward. That would be a big deal. And you can imagine where that could play out in many different policy areas, Michael, not just regarding education funding and, and Kerwin funding. I mean, this could really have long-term impact for Marylanders. Definitely. I think, I think, I mean, among the things that local governments care about, since our, our beat is looking at the county, virtually everything of substance that comes in the state budget on a year-to-year -year basis back to local governments. Things like program open space and our highway user revenue distributions of gas taxes and so forth. Um, you know, funds for funds for uh, our local health departments and libraries and all of the education funds. Like almost all of that is dictated by the General Assembly writes it into law, either as a dollar amount or as a formula, and says this is mandated funding by the governor. Do it in next next year's budget. Put that money in. You must. And if, if we come out of this session with a sense that all of those are just sort of soft promises. It, you know, it would leave your park department saying, well, do I really know this is coming next year? Can I can I float a bond based on these revenues? I, I think that's I think it's a big deal. Yeah, and I can assure you this is something that the, the fiscal committees are going to be thinking about. And almost no matter how things work out with the issues that that are before them now with with this current issue and, and debate over the funding. But this certainly could have long term ramifications. So something to keep an eye on and, and we'll see what happens. So let's move on to, you know, as we're talking about Kerwin and the operating funds for schools, I want to get back to another lingering question. Are they going to open up the hood of the Kerwin bill again this year and do some more fine tuning like last year? Is there going to be, dare I say, a Kerwin 3.0 bill? And I have to say, we always have a special place in our heart for Kerwin because that's essentially what this podcast was built on. Michael, remember the good old days where oh, yeah. you know we were breaking down all the formulas and Every week it was just like, oh my gosh, really thick. But we 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 dug, we got deep into this stuff. So it's only natural that we're still now, you know, I don't know how many years later. Now we're talking about a potential Kerwin 3.0. Brianna, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, those magic words, Kerwin 3.0. Um, so probably too soon in session to really say, um, but signs that that there was a possible um, large reason, shall I say, uh, for a 3.0 um, isn't quite on the front burner like it once was maybe earlier um, in the year. Oh, the, like like with the, the student count, right? I, I mean, I remember 
leading up to session, I think we were thinking that maybe the September 21 student count was sufficiently quirky with, you know, some kids still concerned about the pandemic and, and maybe some kids still out of their, their public spot and into something else. We were, we were concerned that maybe that would be a quirky number and would still feel like a hiccup, sort of like last year's did, right? Right, exactly. So now we've we've actually seen those numbers, and um, those numbers did show that overall enrollment is still largely down around the state compared to pre-pandemic um, years. However, we are starting to see that some of those kids that you mentioned, Michael, who maybe transitioned to homeschooling temporarily or or small independent pods or whatever that that might have been, um, they are starting to come back to the classrooms. So. Overall numbers still down, still concerning, but not nearly as bad as they were in September 2020, which is what warranted um, that big bill last year to fix uh, Kerwin 2.0, shall I say. <laughs> right. And we and we didn't see in the governor's proposed budget the, the same sort of um, big, broad measure that he started started off the conversation last year with, where he basically said, Let's just do a hold harmless. Whatever your formula generates, obviously, if you're 7% down in kids, that's kind of a phony number. So we'll do a hold harmless for everybody for, you know, for last year, it was trying to come up with FY22 funding. Um, he hasn't come up with the same sort of thing necessary to make the, the, the ratchets and clanks work for this year's budget. So maybe, maybe we set that aside as issue number one to compel a let's come back and change all the numbers bill, right? Yeah, that makes sense. But if, I, yeah, that makes sense. But, but if I know the blueprint and Kerwin, I would think that maybe there are some potential other issues that that might require a bill. Is there anything else out there, Brianna? Enrollment looks good, better than we thought, but what else is lingering out there that could be a, a reason to sort of go back under the hood for Kerwin? Sure. Well, we, we never know. I mean, there is the oversight board that's supposed to guide Kerwin and its implementation. Um, they, they were a bit behind schedule. They got a slower start than, um, you know, than was expected. So, they're a bit concerned that they're going to miss some deadlines that are really um, important and they're important because they're written into law. So they have to make those deadlines. Um, so maybe there are adjustments to be made there. Those could surely be warranted if so. Um, that board has started to receive their funding. They are getting off the ground at this point um, a few months later than they had expected to be, but they're starting to staff up. Um, in fact, it, I believe it was just last week, they they announced that they had hired Rachel Heiss as their executive director. Rachel, um, of course, of the Department of Legislative Services. Listeners will remember uh, that Rachel was the lead policy analyst who worked on Kerwin and the Blueprint, so it's surely a fitting hire. Um, but that said, they'll, they'll definitely want to update their timetables in a way that's going to be feasible for them to actually meet their deadlines and to do some work uh, getting Kerwin implemented in the counties in particular. Right. So I, mean, I think it does make sense that you, you may look at the timetable. That was that was another component of last year's the Kerwin 2.0 bill was to say, well, because of the the veto and the override, the actual effective mm -hmm. date of the bill got pushed back. And so a number of the of the phase-in components in the sort of 10-year phase-in needed to be moved because you just had missed a number of months. So that was part of last year's motivation. I think this would be in keeping with that. Um, and 
as I recall, so this is the the implementation and accountability board is, is the is the oversight body. This was the one where the membership of that board ended up making headlines as its own issue, right? The governor governor received a list of recommended members and and raised his concerns about sort of the the geographic representation. That's that's where we were a, a few months ago, as I recall. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, the governor raised his concerns as well as um, legislative leadership raised their concerns. Um, so Chair Eichleget and the board's members surely seem to be um, well engaged and they're clearly getting started on this important work. Um, but there is a clear elephant in the room and that's what you just started to hit on, Michael, and that's that there's some missing geographical and demographic representation on this board. Um, you know, there's no one from Prince George's County for one. And there's also no one from any of the rural parts of the state. So no one with a view from a relatively small school system who, you know, maybe has different issues than the larger systems. No one to offer that perspective in such a crucial part of, of implementing Kerwin, which is the oversight and accountability component. Right. And I know that uh, Delegate Jeff Greist uh, from down on the shore has a bill I think to address this, but Brianna, there could be other bills too, right? I mean, I don't know what's what's in that good delegates bill, but as you said, there are multiple grievances here, not just from rural parts of the state, but from one of our largest jurisdictions as well, that they don't have representation. So it seems like this could be, you know, multiple bills to look at this issue too. Yeah, it absolutely could be. And, um, you know, it I could easily see a bill drafted to add some more members one way or another, broaden the seats at the table geographically, so to speak. Um, and it's something that also the the board's members at their very first meeting um, kind of committed to to trying to find ways to broaden that membership. So I'd be inter interested to see how they would um, potentially support such a bill. Right. And right. and this this body that we're talking about, just to be clear, this isn't this isn't a group that's rewriting formulas and and sort of changing the who's going to get what assistance and that sort of stuff. But that it's it's really like it's in their name. Implementation is what they're supposed to be doing. Their their objective is to make sure that the, we we've we've tended to focus on the numbers because you know that's the county's role in education is that we support with with local tax revenue and so forth. We focused on the the fiscal effects, but there's enormous policy effects and expectations and requirements that individual schools and school systems and and uh, you know you have wraparound services for a variety of kids, and you need to have a a ladder for teacher advancement and training and so forth. There's an awful lot of things that need to be put into place at various times over the next decade. So this body is not sort of the day to day. Let's decide how, you know how big the bag of money is that goes to this jurisdiction or that is required to come from that jurisdiction. This is more in the nuts and bolts. Let's make sure we're working with the Cecil County Schools to make sure they have this program up and running by next July when it's supposed to be. That's that's they're they're on the ground implementation, folks. Right, and I'm sure you know. I know for a fact that Chair Ike Leggett, obviously former Montgomery County Executive and and a brilliant guy, and all the the board's members want to make sure everybody has a seat at the table. So I'm sure we're going to see proposals to to how this can shake out, but seems like maybe more to come there as well. And and and. Brianna, while we're talking education, can we also get into school facilities a bit? Because that's also a big part of your portfolio. 
Yeah, of course, Kevin. How deep do you want to go here? We could we could talk all night, and it's it's already after hours. So you just let me know. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I I know we could, and I'm tempted to do it, but maybe let's just stick with <laughs> with the first layer or two, right? So I know there's a billion dollars in the budget. Uh, we're used to seeing something like 400 million or so in a pretty good mm-hmm. year, right? And so remind our listeners. How we got to one billion with a B because that that's that's a headline grabber and it's something that the governor is, is definitely touting and it and certainly is a big deal. Absolutely. Well, that's not uh, by chance, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so three parts here. So the main school construction program is always a huge piece of the capital budget um, that we mainly get to pay for with general obligation bonds. Um, oh, and our, our loyal listeners, they love bonds because I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but year, year and a half ago, we did an entire episode of the podcast talking about the nature of bonds and what does it mean for general obligation. You put the full faith and credit of the state government behind it, and we'll use whatever resources are necessary to make sure that the bondholders get paid off and so forth. We've got AAA low interest bonds because we are so fiscally responsible. There's a whole lot of background there, but that's that's the vanilla capital budget. You float bonds every year to fund new projects and schools are always a big chunk of that. Yeah. Right. Absolutely riveting stuff for sure. Um, Put a plug, put a plug in that, Brianna, put a plug in that because I'm already thinking like, I want to do a, I want to do a whole episode on advanced refunding bonds, and I want Ooh. you to come on and we'll walk through all that too. So, like, I know you're now into that's it now, a good so five we'll, we'll minutes, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've, we've got those bonds in the capital budget, right? And then because there's some extra money in the surplus right now, y'all may have heard of that as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, not too shabby. Um, So the governor has also proposed to do some pay-as-you-go projects, which basically um, are saying, you know, pay cash for them. Um, So that'll sweeten the pot a little bit, too. Um, And then on top of that, this is the first year that we'll actually have funds available from the Built to Learn Act. Um, I'm sure that you've also done a podcast episode on that, but that was before my time. Uh, so the Built to Learn Act, that was the supercharged plan to really accelerate a lot of schools c- construction projects um, and to do a bunch of them quickly. Um, so we've got three streams of funding here um, to play with this year. Okay, so so that's the, the biggest layer of extra funds. And, you know, PAYGO makes sense. I mean, we've heard a lot about we, we have this this cash. So a lot of PAYGO does make sense. But but the, the biggest extra layer here of funds, Michael, that that comes from a different funding stream, right? Right. So that's that's the the built to learn proposal um, came from a couple different corners at similar times, but uh, came together in a bill that passed. I, I think it was in a 20 session. It's all kind of mm-hmm. a blur. Right. We're I think I think we're at like March 702nd of 2020 now, <laughs> if, you're, if you're counting the way I am. They're not um, even making calendars anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um. But uh, in, in 2020, the, the, the big plan passed to basically say, let's take a sliver of the money com- coming from casinos, the, the state share of revenues from, from the various casino facilities, direct a piece of that money every year for, I think it's 
20 years. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the timetable, but you basically take that revenue stream. Let's float some bonds now as revenue bonds, not general obligation where we pledge everything. But basically, these are just bonds where we say we're going to pay this off with this particular revenue source, the casino revenues, um, float those bonds and do a whole bunch more schools over the next few years and pay for them over the next sort of generation. Um, so, so that's the built to learn concept, but it was, it, it was born of recognizing we got a lot of jurisdictions who have projects that are on the A list and on the B list, which is generally ready to go. And the school saying, well, we only do 400 million a year, so we might not get to that project for five, six, seven years. You know, here's, here's another couple portable units that'll help tide, tide it over until we can build the school that you obviously need. So a combination of the governor and the legislature come together and say, let's leverage a revenue source that we've got and clear the deck of an awful lot of these pending, ready-to-go, needed projects. So that's where we're going to kickstart it this year. This is year one. Right. And I have to say, I think that's, that's probably one of the best examples and the best work that the governor and the General Assembly have come together on. And, and it, it really, it was, a, it was a huge deal. So, so I guess, you know, you put all that together and you have one big year. Is that it or, or is this going to keep on going? Well, Kevin, you know, Built to Learn is supposed to be a couple of a billion dollars. So if it's 400 million and some change this year, um, maybe it's looking like three or four years. Um, and just to just to piggyback on your comment about this really being one of the greatest examples of the General Assembly and the governor, coming together on something, I'll, I'll just leave you with, you know, gambling and education, two things that Maryland does well together. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's look, for the know, kids. it is what it is, right? <laughs> it, we, we, it, you, you don't look into like tobacco taxes and what all that goes toward because, I mean, you know, gambling and tobacco, sin taxes, I mean, you know, it is what it is, but we're building schools, right? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I, I think you have to be thinking about this as, boy, this is a big year, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cut a bunch of ribbons, right? I mean, a billion dollars in school mm -hmm. construction is gonna is gonna patch over a lot of schools that need new roofs and need ex extended space and need systemic renovations, and we're gonna build new school space to get kids into modern learning centers that have better amenities and better opportunities for, you know, kids who need, who have special needs and so forth. There's, there's a lot to be gained by making this investment. We tend to think of capital stuff as one year at a time. It's just sort of, well, what's yeah. the, what's the capital budget this year? Oh, a little more than last. Oh, cool. Great. But <laughs> we, we tend not to think of these things as year to year, but I, I think we have so many stakeholders in, because of the built to learn resources and because of maybe we're sitting on a surplus where one-time money this year may afford some one-time money next year. That, I mean, I think we're hoping that we're at the beginning of at least a wave of several good years in a row. All right, so lots of funding issues for better or worse. That's the main county role in education, coming up with the money. Anything else look like it's hot out there, Michael and Brianna, or is it fairly quiet otherwise? Is it ever well, quiet? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just I just feel like you know, we we we're seeing bills about still still the struggle over like remote learning 
And yep. the, the idea of school systems offering some sort of remote academy or remote primary option for some of their students, I, I feel like not really, not for next week, but more like for next year and beyond, that's still yet to be untangled. I feel like that's still sitting out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're still having a lot of trouble with hiring various school staff, whether it's bus drivers or mm -hmm. teachers or even substitute teachers. Um, a few weeks before the start of the session, there was even a, a legislative hearing on the school bus driver issue. Um, so, you know, we may right. still see some sort of legislative fix along those lines. Yeah, um, and, and nurses and crossing guards and I mean, just like all you know, of the, the above. Yeah, right. All, all the hiring issues are affecting schools maybe as acutely as anywhere. It feels like, um, you know, there's always there's always a swath of sort of curriculum and offering issues in the schools. So, I mean, we most of that stuff is not county government stuff, but it is substantive policy. And I think the General Assembly will be spending a fair amount of time on that kind of stuff as well. Um, I don't know if we're going to end up with a big debate over, you know, critical race theory and, and some of the issues that have popped up in the national headlines. Oh. I don't know if that'll be a big Maryland topic, but regardless. It is an election year, Michael. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> right. So, and, and right. So, like, take something from column A and column B and column C, and it'll probably all be on a hearing on Ways and Ways Means Committee on a random Wednesday, right? Going to say that hearing will go as late as you can imagine. <laughs> well, well, Brianna. I, first of all, I, I think we all owe you a debt of gratitude for covering this portfolio because there is a lot going on here, and you're doing a fantastic job. So a lot to watch, right? And all these bill hearings are online. Lots of stuff worth watching. But but let's leave it on the let's watch list for now. There's no shortage of things going on in education. That's for sure. So, Brianna, I really, really appreciate you being with us to walk through all this stuff. And, and again, I, we know this is, a, this is a lot. So thank you very much. And we can, we can have you back, I'm sure, throughout this session for updates on this stuff. But we could go pretty deep. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Of course. My pleasure, as always. And there's also our blog as well that we'll continue to update on, not just education and capital budget issues, but all of the issues that MAKO follows. And Brianna, what is your Twitter handle so that people can follow you for all the latest? At BRI Bree, January underscore Mako. Awesome. It's a great follow. So please follow Brianna. Michael, any closing comments? Uh, we know you love talking about schools and education. I do. I'm into all this stuff and I'm feeling shortchanged that, you know, I'm just starting to get wound up now. I'm ready to talk for another hour, but sounds like we're going to put this one to bed and that's probably for the best. Sounds like a bedtime definitely, story definitely. for your kids, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll put them to sleep right quick. <laughs> let's, let's leave it there. And as always, you can follow along on social media. If you enjoy the podcast, you can also subscribe. But on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, as Brianna mentioned, our Conduit Street blog. But for now, for Brianna January and Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.